Well, friends, we're excited because this morning we're starting this brand new series. Um, and this is, what, uh, this is what we're going to be walking through this fall. Um, this series that we're calling Thrive. And what we're doing specifically with Thrive, and hopefully everybody got a hold of one of these. This is going to help produce some information, a little bit of outline, even some notes on part of the page. If you want to follow along like that this morning. In Thrive, what we're wanting to do, friends, is we're wanting to encourage discipleship and genuine spiritual growth in Jesus Christ. In fact, guys, um, we're going to talk, I want to give you a little introduction to what's led up to this, what we've been working on, but we believe that this is God's moment for this. I believe that this is of vital importance right now, taking time to specifically walk into our relationship with Jesus Christ and what it means to do that and, and accomplish this life that God has for us. Last year around this time, we did a series on renewal and what it means for God to uh, revive His people and draw us nearer to Him. And uh, friends, I don't know about you, but in 2020, I see more and more of a need for God's people to be nearer to Him. So much of what is going on in our culture right now is tempting people away from the kingdom of God, from the hope and the peace and the joy that there is with Jesus Christ. So we're excited about what we're going to be able to walk through with the series Thrive here. And so Thrive is going to help put flesh on the bones. If there's one very quick way of talking about what Thrive is, what the series is, it's this. Thrive is going to become a system that will assess, encourage, and resource discipleship to Jesus Christ. We're going to end up assessing, encouraging, and resourcing our discipleship with Jesus Christ. You're going to be able to engage with Thrive individually, but we are going to continually encourage you to engage with Thrive with your family, with your small group, with a circle of friends. That's how I think, that's how we think this is going to be best for all of us. Now, I want to give you a little bit of history that brings us to this point this morning. If for nothing else, you guys can sort of feel the, the weight of effort and pain you've gone through for a long time. No, yes, I'm just, you know, I'm just kidding. Our staff and several other people, we have poured a lot of time and effort into this, and we are passionate about encouraging your walk, our walk with Jesus Christ. Not just to sort of give us an injection of faith and happiness on a Sunday morning and maybe one other or two other times a month, we are passionate about every one of us individually and us together walking nearer and nearer to Jesus Christ. So here's part of what happened that led up to what Thrive is and what Thrive is becoming. Around February of 2019, so about a year and a half ago, if not just a little bit longer than that, I had a conversation with one of you. I have to be careful when I have conversations with you people because I never know what's going to happen. I had a conversation with one of you and I was asked a very straightforward question. I was asked if we had or if we knew of an assessment tool 
that could help us sort of get a sense of where our walk is with Jesus Christ, where we're strong, where maybe we could be stronger, and use that assessment to give us some resources and to help us walk in the way with Jesus Christ. Well, every now and then you have one of those moments, and that conversation was a moment for me. It hit something inside of me, and it wouldn't let me go. So as a staff, we started talking this through, and and all of us sort of have this passion and desire, and it was a moment for us. We felt like this is something that we need to do as a staff and that we need to do as a church. So we started hunting. We started looking for that kind of assessment and those kinds of resources. So we scoured the web, a lot of curriculum. We actually took a couple of assessments to see what that was like, if it was doing what we wanted them to do. But we quickly discovered that we were going to have to create what we wanted for this congregation. So we started pouring time and effort and energy into what has become Thrive and what's going to become the stack of resources. We started pouring a lot of energy into what we felt like God wanted to do inside of this church. So there's a lot of conceptual work that's gone into Thrive, the structure of Thrive and what's going to become the resources of Thrive, all of this resource building that we've been doing and things that will continue to roll out as we go through this series this fall. In fact, guys, this has become so significant to us that with the help of our church boards and their encouragement, we've actually done some work to legally protect and copyright the information and the resources that we're building in Thrive. So all this stuff is just going to keep rolling out through this fall. So if you steal this, we're coming after you. I just want you to know that. So then after a lot of work through 2019, we sort of had another little brainstorm. So myself, Pastor Brooks, Pastor Ryan, we all come from ministry families. Our parents uh, were pastors. And so in November of last year, we gathered them all together, we bribed them with food, um, we pulled them all in, and we presented this resource to them. And amongst those ministers in that room, there was over a hundred years of pastoral ministry and experience and insight, and we wanted to get their input, we wanted to get their reaction, and we actually had a very fruitful conversation, a very encouraging conversation and one that continued to help us kind of refine what we're putting together and what we're giving to all of you. But near the end of the night, Pastor Brooks's dad, David Gerzen, he said something that ended up encapsulating the vision, the broader vision of Thrive altogether. Now, David Gerzen was uh, saved. He became a Christian when he was 17 years old, and it radically changed his life. And so near the end of the night, he said this. He said, you know, when I became a Christian, what I thought was there were really only two ways to grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. You read your Bible and you pray. He said it was like I walked into a house that had only two rooms to explore. He said, this makes me feel like I've walked into a house that has a lot of rooms to explore. And this is what this is. This is a house The house of God that has a lot of rooms to explore, a lot of different ways to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ and express that to the rest of the world. So overall, the image that we're going to use to think about what Thrive is is the image of a house with many rooms. So let's think about this for a minute. So here's what we're going to do during this series. This document is going to act as our guide. 
And there's a very specific structure and flow to thrive in this document that you guys all have inside of your hands this morning. It's broken into three major what we call environments, discover, explore, and be. And that's what we're going to talk about in our sermon, our passage of Scripture this morning. Under those three environments, each of those environments have what we call five faith skills inside of each one. Each of those skills is related to the environment, what the environment is trying to accomplish inside of our lives. And, as we're going to discover, they're related to each other. We think in some really interesting and sometimes some very powerful ways. And so we're going to spend time in a lot of Scripture this fall talking about how these things work inside of our lives, how we can practice them, and how we can live a life that walks closer and closer to the life that Christ has called us to lead, and how we as the people of God then can become that kind of hope to the rest of the world, to discover who God is, to explore the life that God has for us, and to be a living hope to the rest of the world. Amen? Amen. So we're looking forward to this this fall. So this morning, friends, if you would open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John chapter 15, verse 1. It's where we're going to start reading here in just a moment. If you don't have a Bible on you, there's one in the chair underneath you. You'll be able to follow along on uh, the screen as well as we walk through Scripture. But as we open God's Word, let's go to Him in prayer one more time this morning. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the presence of the Holy Spirit today. We are so thankful for the opportunity to gather together as the body of Christ. May we never take this for granted again. May we realize that this is not simply a human moment, but these are moments in which the Spirit of God is at work in His church, doing what only you can do. So Holy Spirit, open our hearts, our minds, our lives, to what you would say to your church today. May we see and recognize God, our Heavenly Father, in new and exciting ways. May we see the second member of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our friend, the incarnate Christ. May we see His life and what He has done for us. And may we know the voice and the move of the Spirit of God amongst your people today. We give you this time, asking, Lord, that you would do with it what only you can do. In your magnificent name we pray. Amen. John chapter 15, verse 1. So we're going to start reading here in just a moment. Friends, the Christian faith is about the thing that we need most, but that we do not have. The life of Jesus Christ. The Christian faith is about this thing that we need most, but that we in ourselves do not have. And this is the life of Jesus Christ. We need it on every significant level. God actually created us for this life. But we lost it in our sin, and we remain separated from it in our sin. But this is the life that we were made for by God himself. We need this life. We've lost this life. But God offers it to us this morning in his love and in his mercy and in his power God has created and established a way back into his life 
back into genuine relationship with him, back into a transforming walk with his son, Jesus Christ. So God the Father sent his son, the second member of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, to live, die, and rise again to show us the full glory of God and to defeat death and sin. And then Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sends the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, to be with his children, to be with his church. And Scripture tells us that the role of the Holy Spirit is to draw us nearer to Jesus Christ and to carry us into eternal joy with God. This is what God the Father has ordained and created for us. This is what God the Son has provided for us. This is what God the Holy Spirit is at work doing inside of our lives even today. So when we start talking about discipleship, spiritual formation, spiritual disciplines, spiritual maturity, with a language that we're going to use more often than not in the series of Thrive, we'll begin talking about faith skills. Guys, we need to know this. We do not begin with what we have and with what we bring to the table or with our potential. We begin with our need and the work of the Spirit of God drawing us into Jesus Christ. This is where we begin, is with our need and the work of the Holy Spirit drawing us into Jesus Christ. This kind of perspective is going to help draw our eyes up and our eyes out. It's going to draw our eyes up toward God in all of His glory, and we're going to read that kind of language here in our passage today. And it's going to draw our eyes out of ourselves and into what God wants to do in the world around us. And this is the kind of movement of our lives that takes us closer and closer to Jesus Christ and to the kind of life that He gives us. So in John chapter 15... Jesus is going to talk about this life, and he's going to use the image of vine and branches, the vine and the branches. Jesus is the source of life. God is the one who tends to us, and the Spirit is the one who comes alive inside of us. Now, guys, uh, this perspective is important because this life that we're going to read about here in John 15, the kind of life that we're aiming at, in this series, in the resources in Thrive, it's not all about rules and regulations and do's and don'ts and all of the inevitable frustration and shame that comes with that kind of cycle. You need to do this and you need to do this more and then you're going to hit this kind of consequence. That becomes either pride or frustration inside of our lives. What Christ is going to tell us is that this life is about love and about joy and about the glory of God. It's attractive. It's something in which we can sit back and say, I can imagine what this life is like in Jesus Christ. So this is what we're going to talk about. This is what we're going to spend time with. And here's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about these three environments. So first of all, discover. To discover who God is. And discovering who God is is far more than just knowledge. It is transformation of both heart and mind. So when we speak of what it means to discover who God is, 
It is both knowledge and love. What we know about God is growing. What happens inside of our mental structures, our perspectives, our emotions, when we learn who God is, He begins to transform those things in our minds, so to speak, but it is also about the transforming of our loves, the things that we're drawn to, the things that we want in life, the things that we will sacrifice for. Discovering who God is transforms knowledge and love. Exploring the life that God has for us. We're going to learn about the kind of life that God has prepared for us. And it begins with Him and with His character. So that is the life that grows more and more inside of us. That we would look more and more like Jesus Christ. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives makes this astonishing exchange inside of Pastor Phil's soul. God takes what is broken inside of me and he replaces it with what is good and beautiful in him. This is the exchange in which we learn the life that God has prepared for us. And then what it means to be, and to be specifically a living hope. Someone should name a church Living Hope. It's just a great phrase. Someone should do it. Christ ultimately is the only hope I have. In the end, everything else can do a few things for me, but can't do everything for me. That role alone belongs to Jesus Christ. Christ in the end is the only hope I have. Christ alone is the hope of the nations. And Christ is at work inside of us, becoming the kind of hope that our neighbors desperately need. Our neighbors, our neighbors in this nation, our neighbors in this culture, our, neighbor, our neighbors in our streets, our neighbors in this city want hope. And in the end, friends, it comes to the life of Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ has an opportunity right now to be the kind of light on a shining hill that maybe we haven't had in quite a while. What does it mean to be a living hope? So Jesus tells us here in John chapter 15 that in this life there is love and there is joy and all of it glorifies our heavenly Father. John chapter 15 Verse 1, and I just want to read these 11 verses together so we get the whole feel of what Christ is telling us. And then we're going to walk through bits and pieces of it. John chapter 15, verse 1. Listen to what Jesus tells his disciples. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. You are my disciples and you are in the, the vine, he says. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burn. But if you abide in me, 
and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This sounds like a good life. What Christ promises us, what Christ describes to us in this passage of Scripture He begins by saying, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Um, We can't pass by this phrase. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Friends, there are a lot of false vines out there vying for your attention, your resources, your hope, the meaning of your life, your time, everything about you. All of these false vines are looking for the same things from you that Christ is trying to give you. They're asking for everything. But these false gods and these false religions and these false vines, they promise us things that sound like the life that God gives us, but all of them are horrific mutations of what God actually gives And pay attention to that kind of language because it's used often. If you do want to find meaning and purpose and love and joy inside of life, man, do I have a plan for you and 17 easy payments on $19.95 a month. And you're going to hear religious language used in the context of false gods. We hear this here more and more, one particular phrase. We're seeing a great awakening in our culture. Friends, that is co-opted religious language, and it's used in the context of a false and destructive God. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Jesus alone is the true source of life for me, for everyone, for anyone. We go back to the very beginning of John's gospel, those first 18 verses act as an introduction to this book, and the the disciple John is describing to us who Jesus is, and he's setting up the rest of the book. And here's how John begins his book. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 say this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's speaking of Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. We are headed toward his life. So we need to come to terms with this. I am not the true source of life. These false promises made by other human beings and other systems, none of them are the true source of life. That alone belongs to Jesus Christ. So remember, friends, we are beginning with our need and with what then Christ offers us with his life. So Jesus says, I am the true vine, and he says, God the Father is the vine dresser. 
God the Father is the one who is arranging and orchestrating this relationship between his children and Jesus Christ. He is the one working with this vine, grafting things in, taking things off, pruning them so that they will bear much fruit. God the vine dresser grafts branches into the vine. It is God who makes a way for the fruit of the Spirit to be born inside of our lives. God is the one who is at work within us to prune and to tend so that we may grow and so that he may be glorified. He's the vine dresser. This is the work that he is doing inside of his church, inside of his people. We cannot bear this kind of fruit, God's kind of fruit by ourselves. And that's why Jesus says a couple times in this passage, without me, you can't bear fruit. What that means is you can't bear this fruit. You can't bear divine fruit. You can't bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit unless you are grafted into the vine. And unless the life of Christ himself is actually flowing through you. Now, what's interesting when you go through the rest of Scripture about this is that we discover that the human life actually does have fruit that it bears. But it's very different than the kind of fruit that is born in Jesus Christ. When the Apostle Paul writes to the people in Galatia, he compares and he contrasts those two kinds of fruit, those two kinds of lives. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through the first part of verse 21, Paul says this about life without Christ or life in the flesh. He says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident. So he apparently has been watching cable news along with the rest of us. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this so much more. When we see these things, what is at work is our flesh. This is what we bring to the table. and This is what we watch. And this is what we sometimes live and experience and grow frustrated with. This is what breaks People in our lives are the works of the flesh, the fruit of our own sin. So remember, we're not beginning with what we bring to the table because this is what we bring to the table. We begin with our need. We need this to be different and with the life that God gives. So there is another life. There is another set of fruit that God offers. It happens in the next passage in Galatians chapter 5. And this is the passage that maybe we know. In Galatians 5, and 23, Paul then says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Which of these two do I want at work inside of my life? Which of these two do I want at work inside of my community, inside of my church? The fruit of the Spirit is so radically different than the works of the flesh. This is what Christ offers. This is what God the vine dresser is doing as he grafts you into the life of Jesus Christ and his life begins to flow through us. So if this is the life that is offered to us in Jesus Christ, what do we do? How do we get there? How do we pay attention to it? And what Jesus says in this passage in answer to 
a question is as shocking as it is simple. Jesus says in verse 4, abide in me and let me abide in you. Later on, he just even says, just abide in my love. Stunningly, this is our role. This is our part. We abide in the love of Jesus Christ. So, guys, we are to stay as close to and as open to the light of Jesus Christ as we possibly can. What do we do to stay as close to and as open to and as receptive to the light and life of Jesus Christ as we possibly can? So when we walk into something like this, when we start talking about life in Christ and discipleship and faith skills and spiritual growth, what we're doing is we're paying attention to our preparation. We're paying attention to our perspective. We're paying attention to our attention and where it goes. Where do our eyes go? Where do our thoughts go? Where do our hearts go? Where do our emotions go when we respond and when we react? What's going on inside of us? So we pay attention to those things to our habits and the rhythms of our lives to learn the kinds of things that make us as open as possible to the life that Christ gives us. The American pastor and theologian in the 1700s, Jonathan Edwards, he spoke often of what it meant to grow in this life. And uh, one of the images that he liked to use about what we do to, to grow in this life, he took an image from one of the early miracles of the life of Jesus Christ. When Jesus turns the water into wine at the wedding of Cana, Jesus and His mother and His disciples are attending the wedding of a friend, the the friends and these family members. On the third day, they've run out of wine. Jesus and His mother have this fascinating conversation. His mom says, you know, Jesus, you need to fix this. So she tells the servants, just fill these pots up with water. And then Jesus turns the water into wine. And so what Jonathan Edwards tells us is, my job is to fill a pot with water and then let Jesus turn it into wine. Then let Jesus do what only He can do in His timing, in His love, and in His wisdom. So if my work is to abide, to fill this jar with water, to open myself as much as I can to the grace of God, Where do I start? What do I do? How do I change my perspective? How do I begin looking at life? And this is the structure of Thrive and these faith skills inside of these environments. And every one of these is intended to help us focus our attention and our actions on the grace of God and the love of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So if we have walked into God's household, there are many rooms here. There are many ways to explore this. There are many ways to walk in this direction with Jesus Christ and to begin to engage with this life. So let's think about what we mean by discover and explore and be thinking through John chapter 15. So what do we talk about when we're talking about discover who God is? Discovering who God is means both a growing knowledge of who He really is and a growing love, okay? A growing knowledge of who He actually and truly is and a growing love 
for God. We cannot be in genuine relationship with a God that we do not know. We cannot be in genuine relationship with a God whom we deliberately redefine to fit our own wants and desires and what we believe is important in the cultural moment. When we do stuff like that, we're not getting to know God. We're getting to know ourselves. That's who we're getting to know. So we can't be in genuine relationship with God that we are deliberately redefining or picking and choose what we like and don't like about Him. We need to get to know Him. And we, in the end, don't truly and fully know God in the way that He wants to be known until we love Him the way that He wants to be loved. Or until His love is at work inside of our lives in new and wonderful ways. So we're learning to love Him as well. To find Him attractive and to find His life and what He offers attractive to us. And then we're learning to love other people with this kind of love. So Jesus said in chapter 15, verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I guarantee you, the second half of that verse sticks out and sounds really exciting. Ask whatever you want and it's going to be given to you. But the second half of that verse relies on the first half of that verse that we are saturated with and abide in the Word of Christ. What He reveals to us about Himself, who He really is. Later on, Jesus even just says, when you do what I command, you live in my love. That's stunning. So that verse there, verse 7, it's about knowledge and transformation. My desires being transformed by the grace of God so that now... The things that I want, the things that I ask for, the things that I seek for are in harmony with the heart and the mind and the will of God. Abide in me and my word, and then everything that you ask will be in accord with my will and my power, and I will give it. It's a beautiful thing. And that is what it means to have the abundance of the life of God at work inside of us. John recorded a conversation earlier on in his gospel again in John chapter 8 where Jesus says some very similar things. John 8 verses 31 and 32 say this. So Jesus said to the Jews that believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So much of what we learn in this life should attract us to what God gives. I want to be free. Guys, I want to be free of what's going on inside of this soul so often. And Jesus says, get to know me. Get to know the truth of who I am. And then you're going to find something that you're, that you're searching for. You're going to find freedom in Jesus Christ. So inside of that environment of discover there on the car that we have given you, we include these skills of Communion, we've got description of all of these on that card of communion and thanksgiving and stewardship and Sabbath and wonder. And every one of these things is designed to help us to get to know God better and to get to know the life that He offers 
better. So discovering who God is and then exploring the life that God has for us. The life that God has for us is best understood in the kind of grace that God gives. So what do we mean when we say that uh, we, we, we need the grace of God or it's by the grace of God? The, the, the song that we sang to sort of open up service this morning, the grace of God has rescued me. I love that opening line. We often think of grace in terms of, uh, you know, the free gift of forgiveness, and, and so it is. That is true. But the full-bodied biblical vision of grace is very simple. Grace is God giving himself to us. Grace is God giving himself to us. So let's think about it like this for a couple of minutes. If you want to have a sense of where your life is headed today, where is your life headed now, it is good to know what kind of goals you're shooting for, what the ends are, what the the point of all of this is. So if I have absolutely no sense of direction or goals for my life, I guarantee you I will get there. (laughs) I'm going to achieve exactly that. But, and we know this intuitively, if I want a strong marriage, if I want to raise kids well, if I want to do well and graduate from college, if I want to build a successful business, those goals for the future become my plans for today. This deliberate walk into an end and into a goal. Now, here's why this is important for you and me as followers of Jesus Christ. The Christian life ultimately is headed to heaven. It's headed to heaven. Now, how many of you have wanted to see heaven sooner rather than later? (laughs) The ultimate goal of the Christian life is heaven. The perfect and full knowledge of and relationship with our Savior Jesus Christ. There's coming a day when we will see him face to face, and we will be transformed fully into the image of Christ. Someone has once said, heaven is heaven because God is there. Heaven is heaven because God is there. But here's something beautiful about what God has ordained. It turns out that that goal is present in our lives today. It actually becomes a part of what we live with the work of the Holy Spirit now. If I want to live this life with Jesus Christ, I am making plans to walk with Him today, to turn my eyes toward Him, to turn my habits and activities and attention toward Him to be open and receptive to the life of Christ. Life with Jesus Christ in heaven will be infinite happiness in the purest, cleanest, grandest sense of that term. And God actually gives us a chance to glimpse that life now. The theologian Kyle Strobel in his book, Formed for the Glory of God, he puts it like this. He says, God's life is infinite happiness, and therefore God opens his life so that people can truly delight in him. I love that. God has actually made it possible to pull some of that life into this life now, inside of what He is doing inside of us. So we're exploring the life that God has for us. And remember, we're beginning with our need and what God gives. We're not beginning with what we bring to the table. 
Because our need determines what it is, and God gives us what we need. So in this environment and exploring the life that God has for us, we include things like belief and wisdom and sacrifice and spiritual family and identity, all of these things designed to point ourselves in this kind of direction. As I pondered this this week, I kept thinking of Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's not just then, that's also intended to be now. This is what the kingdom of God is about, exploring the life that God has for us. And then what we mean by be a living hope. Again, guys, I need to realize over and over again that I need to keep my hope focused on Jesus Christ. There are so many things in this world that are vying for my hope. They're telling me, if you follow me, if you do what I ask you to do, if you place your life on me or on us, we're going to accomplish everything that you need accomplished inside of this world. And friends, when any human system or human individual does that, it fails every single time. So I have to be deliberate about, deliberate about keeping my eyes on Jesus Christ. And my hope is in Him. The things of this world can fill certain roles in my life. They can provide certain things for me, but none of them can satisfy the deepest needs and the deepest longings of the human soul. None of them can. So my hope, our hope, is in Jesus Christ alone. And we need to understand this. It's not just for us, but we are ambassadors of this hope. The world's hope can only be found in Jesus Christ. The hope of the nations can only be found in Jesus Christ. Human history may be described very straightforwardly as striving, a striving for happiness, a striving for meaning, a striving for power, for control, for influence, for striving for wealth, for striving for security, and on and on it goes. But their only true hope is the same as my only true hope. It is Jesus Christ. This made me think of, uh, I think it's the second verse of the hymn, Mighty Fortress is Our God. It goes like this, and you can thank me later for not singing it to you. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is He. The Lord of hosts is His name. From age to age the same, and He must win the battle. If I strive under my own strength and energy, every time I will lose. It has to be God's man. You want to know who God's man is? His name is Jesus Christ. And he will win the battle. So this kind of hope will be best seen in the lives of God's people. As the Apostle Paul says, we move from glory to glory inside of this life. And to people who bear the fruit of this vine, 
the people who have found our joy and love in Jesus Christ, and as people who live for the glory of God. So in this environment of being a living hope, we include these things of good news, what we call relational generosity, spending ourselves on people in the right ways, service, vocation, and renewal, all of them intended to turn this life of Jesus Christ out into the rest of the world. Let's read again the last couple of verses of this passage. John 15, beginning in verse 9 through 11, Jesus says this again. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Did you catch how often in those verses Jesus repeats those two words? If you take notes in your Bible, you should, you should uh, underline them, you should circle them. Five times he repeats the word love. Twice he repeats the word joy. Is this life of growing in Jesus Christ, of learning and practicing these faith skills, of exchanging our earthly way of life for God's way of life, is this process tedium? Is it shame? Is it frustration? Is it loaded with expectations and failure? If it is that for us, what we want to see is that there's a different way of doing this. There's a different path that Christ offers to us to be grafted into His life, to learn what it is to abide in Jesus, His Word, His love, His joy, the presence of the Holy Spirit, to learn who He is and to walk that kind of life. Friends, listen, God desires to be known by His people, and He desires to be loved by His people, and God desires our lives to be taken up into His love and into His joy. This is what God desires this morning. <laughs> and in John 15, 8, the previous verse, Jesus says, and by this, my Father is glorified. Jesus taught us how to pray, and He begins with, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. We pray, we begin by praying. What we want is the name of God to be greater than it is now. What we want is for the name of God to be glorified. It's not us. It doesn't begin with us. It begins with our need and who He is and what He offers. So I want Him to be glorified. The goal is God. The goal is God glorified. And for whatever shape this life takes, for however long God grants me to walk this earth, there is no better way to spend my life than the glory of God. Let's pray.